You know, I think that fiber infrastructure is the most important economic asset that any town, city, or country could have. And, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's all kinds of ways, and we haven't even started to scratch the surface, of models where you can have municipal or government ownership in partnership with companies. Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Muninetworks.org readers know that Two Cows, Inc., parent to mobile cell service and internet provider Ting, has recently announced it will begin offering internet service in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Westminster, Maryland. If you've never heard of Ting, it's been praised for its excellent customer service. Yes, that's right, a communications company that actually provides the kind of service customers deserve. Two Cows is acquiring fiber assets from an existing private entity in Charlottesville and partnering with the city of Westminster as it deploys its municipal fiber infrastructure. Two Cows has announced that part of its strategy to expand as an ISP is to seek out communities that have publicly owned fiber assets in place and deliver services via municipal fiber infrastructure. In this interview, Chris talks with Elliot Noss, CEO of Two Cows, about its exciting model and how they intend to apply it to gigabit connectivity. Partnerships between the public and private sector are one way to increase choice and improve services. The Community Broadband Bits podcast comes to you every week with no advertising. Unfortunately, they're not free to produce. Please consider contributing to our work by visiting ILSR.org and clicking on the orange donate button. Now here's Chris speaking with Elliot Noss from Two Cows. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Elliot Noss, the CEO of Two Cows. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Elliot, we've been a big fan of a lot of your work. We register all of our domains through uh, Hover.com, uh, which you run. And uh, both Lisa and I, our broadband experts, have been using your wireless service now for a while for our cell phones. Uh, but I didn't have an excuse to bring you on until you bought an ISP in Charlottesville, Virginia. So um, we're going to talk a lot about the sort of things you're involved with. But let's start with just asking, you know, what is your background? How did you come to be involved in all these things? Well, Two Cows has a long history, Chris, you know, as you, you know most of. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been doing the same job now for 18 years. Uh, but uh, how I got into it, uh, you know, my roots and the roots of a lot of uh, the uh, Two Cows employees are in the competitive ISP space in Toronto, uh, you know, in the mid to late 90s. So, you know, we're ISP folks at heart. And if you track through the history of Two Cows, you know, the software libraries were uh, partnered with ISPs around the world, you know, over a hundred countries, over a thousand mirrors. Uh, our biggest business still is our OpenSRS wholesale domain registration service, which again is partnered with ISPs and web hosting companies. Uh, all over the world there it's 120 countries and you know 13,000 plus partners uh, so our our roots have always been around and in the service provider business you know in addition um uh both the company and 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 me personally have been involved in uh you know the the sometimes I'll call it the semi underbelly of the internet you know dealing with 
uh, the policy side, primarily through ICANN, which is the the regulator of domain names, and uh, you know, as you know, because where you and I met, uh, you know, is in in some of the open internet circles, and so uh, you know, we 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 come by a lot of this stuff honestly. Right. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. I think regular listeners will know that we don't often have on um, private companies. Uh, but uh, this is a good timing because uh, you and I will both be in New York City in the beginning of March for Freedom to Connect, which you're one of the sponsors of. So I certainly want to want to help you or want to thank you for that. And you'll also be uh, speaking there. So it'd be a good time for people if they're interested to show up and to get uh, a sense of what, what some of this open Internet stuff is all about. Yep. And, you know, I, I, I joke, uh, you know, there won't be a lot of uh, our shareholders. We're a public company. There won't be a lot of our shareholders listening to the show. But, you know, we're lucky enough that, you know, we've been able to uh, successfully align our business interests with uh, open Internet principles and with uh, doing a lot of, uh, you know, sort of good things for customers. And, um, you know, for, for the people who work at Two Cows, uh, in any of the business units, I mean, that's one of the great things about it is we've really just, you know, sort of chosen to take a a very um, uh, a very customer friendly and uh, internet friendly path. One of the words that I've used since uh, using Ting, your wireless service, is MVNO, Mobile Virtual Network Operator. Let's talk a little bit about how you got involved with actually actually providing telecom services uh, on uh, the wireless networks. We uh, have uh, seen and 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 felt uh, the pain in uh, telecom, both uh, mobile and fixed, for for many years, and we were lucky enough to uh, be able to take a lot of the systems that we developed in our wholesale domain registration business and just simply apply them to a different problem. So. We were able to take uh, a lot of our back office, all of the billing and provisioning, as well as a lot of the customer service uh, uh, processes and principles that we developed on the retail domain registration side and bring them to mobile. You know, we found a, a good initial partner in Sprint. We went through um, you know, a process where we were able to see that we could find economics that worked for both us and customers, and they really offer a, a very different kind of mobile service that you know save people money, and probably more importantly, uh, you know provides a great customer service experience. And and you know I mean essentially, uh, Sprint sells us network at a wholesale level. You know, if all Ting customers, uh, as far as Sprint is concerned, work off a common bucket of minutes, messages, and megs. And uh, you know, we just uh, uh, take all of that data and parse it underneath and bill and rate it separately. Uh, you know, it's also worth noting that uh, in a couple of weeks we're launching with a GSM partner as well. So we'll uh, essentially have two networks at that point uh, that our customers can choose from. And just to wrap up with the the Ting Wireless, I I've often tweeted that I've you know I felt really um, positively toward Ting. I've had a couple of problems with uh, with a phone that wasn't your fault, but but your uh, customer service people were very quick and very easy to deal with. And as I understand it, you know you haven't you didn't note it, but you've just won an award, I think, or you've had a distinction at any rate. Uh, what was that? Yeah, um, uh, Consumer Reports, uh, which uh, you know we think uh, sort of does the let me call it the cleanest job of of rating uh, uh, things like customer service and carriers named us the 
the the number one mobile service in the U.S. and we we got their highest rating ever. Uh, and you know what was especially uh, um, rewarding about that was that in the same uh, uh, survey or the same set of results, Sprint was actually uh, uh, among the very lowest ranked. And so you know what that demonstrated is you, you're working off of the same network, and that customer service experience really can be. Uh, a unique piece. You know, I think we're big proponents of uh, network as dumb pipe, but there's so much that can be done on top of that dumb pipe to differentiate services. And that's really why I wanted to have you on because now you're taking yet all the lessons you've learned from the wireless, which you had previously learned in your customer service experience, and you're going to start delivering gigabit to people. Uh, maybe we can just start with the first announcement, which was uh, the, the company that you purchased in uh, Charlottesville. Sure. Uh, so we bought a, uh, a small ISP in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, called BRI, Blue Ridge Internet, um, they have about uh, 35 miles of uh, fiber network uh, right in Charlottesville proper. And uh, it was a great combination. You know, it's a very small company. It's a great place for, for us to get our start in gigabit internet. Um, they only offer uh, fiber access. They are certainly not offering a gig today. Uh, but they've got a lot of experience um, uh, building uh, fiber inside of a city, and they also uh, have a very good reputation around customers. Uh, you know, fiber is somewhat capital intensive, and you know, business is quite process intensive. So it's this great marriage. Now we're going to be able to bring a lot of our uh, back office and customer service uh, processes to them, and allow the entrepreneurs, uh, the two entrepreneurs at BRI, who have done a great job over the years, uh, to really focus on what they love doing most, which is you know, building networks and, and serving people. One of the things that people often associate with me is a passion for public ownership because I'm always afraid that a private company such as Ting, you know, uh, you get ill, something happens, you decide to sell the company, who knows how it's operated in yes. the future. Yes. And so one of the things that I was really thrilled about as you were thinking about entering this space is your willingness to operate on fiber that's owned by a city. And yeah, yeah, and and I think that's important because I think city-owned fiber has tremendous potential, but they really need a trusted partner or many trusted partners to deliver services. Yeah, you know, there's 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 a couple of pieces I want to tease out there. One is is something you've heard me say in in small groups for for a few years. You know, the things that um, uh, cities really are best at is. Uh, around you know, providing access to infrastructure. So that's everything from easements to rights of way to fast turnarounds around approval. You know, those are things that are uh, uniquely skill sets of the city. I'm a, a very big fan of, of great muni uh, fiber networks like uh, Chattanooga and like Lafayette. You know, I do think that they are somewhat an, the exception where you really need uh, 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 an, an individual who's driving that exercise. You know, I'm not. Um, uh, you know, I'm neither a free market zealot nor a, you know, sort of far on the left in terms of of community ownership. I do think at a practical level, in the telecom environment in the U.S. And by the way, everything I say about the U.S. will pretty much apply to Canada in the same way where I'm from. 
um, you know, it's it's that 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 in the current context, you know, municipal fiber makes a lot of sense. You know, the 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 best story I like to tell there is I was meeting with the mayor of a of a of a Canadian town or city, you know, about a hundred one hundred and fifty thousand people. And we were talking about, you know, just very loosely, it was nothing formal, but talking about doing a fiber trial. And I was encouraging him, letting him know, you know, we were in their city for other reasons and letting him know that, you know, we'd love to do a trial and, you know, talking about who would provide the capital. And, you know, what I said is, you know, Mayor, if I were you, uh, boy, I wouldn't let me own the network. But if you want to let me own the network, then I certainly will. Um, and I think that that, that that sort of best grounds it. So, you know, I really, uh, you know, boy, if I was the one who was making the decisions on behalf of a city, you know, I think that fiber infrastructure is the most important economic asset that any town, city or country could have. And, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's all kinds of ways, and we haven't even started to scratch the surface, of models where you can have municipal or government ownership in partnership with companies. You know, I do also deeply believe that that uh, it's unlikely or it'll be the exception that um, uh, cities, counties, states will be uh, better at operating uh, a, a network than uh, private interests. And so it's really about uh, finding a way to combine what each group can be best at. No, and I, I appreciate that distinction, although I have to note that in the empirical record right now, if you had to plot me down in the average municipal system versus the average privately owned system, which admittedly really skews it to Comcast and, and Time Warner Cable, that the, the actual operation, the customer service, the value, all of that would be much higher in the municipal cities uh, where they own and operate it. But I think that that's because the cities that have done it are the ones that really have that tradition of doing it well, and they're able to go beyond what cities are traditionally good at. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I don't think we're we're in too much of disagreement on that. Um, that's right. But I, I think that the key to really expanding um, really great infrastructure access to internet and high quality internet is going to be finding ways that cities can own the infrastructure for the long term and have a company like yours that, that will operate on it, whether that's a loan or, or whether that's uh, in competition with other ISPs such as yourself. Um, so what I, what I guess I'm curious about is, you know, if I'm a city and I'm thinking about building a fiber optic network, um, what do I do to make sure that I'm attractive to you and that I'm building it in a way that would allow you to work with me? I, I think that's the right question. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that this is about uh, tactics, not strategy. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always tricky if we want to have a model for the future to look at, you know, how terrible Comcast is. Uh, because on the other side, you get the, you know, how, what a disaster utopia has been, etc. And I think that all of that is about tactics, not strategy. So, uh, you know, what, what can a city or a town do? And I think the, the, the first most important thing is to really recognize that the, the sort of the what do they do well? How can they ho- help with polar conduit rights? How can they help with uh, fast processing of approvals? Uh, you know, one of the, the frustrations to me is I've watched um, all of the uh, open internet and muni fiber uh, discussions over the last two years is seeing what uh, Google Fiber uh, got from Kansas City being described as a subsidy. 
Uh, you know, it was. <laughs> I think that what they asked for and got from Kansas City was efficient processes, and to have that called a subsidy is just to 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 institutionalize bad processes in in the wrong way. Well, let me let me just briefly touch on that because I think. I think that because we're lumping together multiple issues, I think that makes sense for some of them and maybe not for all of them. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a question of whether um, you're starting to employ more people to do um, inspections in the right of way than you might otherwise have had. That's a cost that has to be paid by someone. And the question, I think, is whether that should be subsidized by the general tax base or by whoever's building in the rights of way. So I think, you know, there is a little bit of more complicated than, than you just suggested. Well, that, that's good. So so I would describe that. I mean, you talked about um, uh, more. I really think that often when you go underneath it, you're actually talking about less. There are often um, uh, uh, processes and procedures that are in place that have been around for years and years. Uh, you know, governments are uh, notorious for being slow to reform their business processes. And I could, you know, bore you with with dozens and dozens of examples. Of, I've tried to pull permits. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah, <laughs> a process inefficiencies. And, and, and really, it's, it's, it's recognizing that fiber infrastructure – it has such public benefit. That's important point number one. Um, important point number two, you know, if I'm a city administrator, what a great forcing mechanism for me to clean up my procedures and processes. You know, to take an incredibly populous issue uh, like uh, municipal fiber, like fast internet, um, you know, to, to, to leverage uh, the, the, just the distaste and the dissatisfaction that people have today with their uh, fixed internet providers, with their pay TV providers, um, you know, with telecom in general, to leverage that to improve the, the efficiencies and operations of a city and all with the, the, the goal and benefit of creating great public infrastructure or, or, you know, or public-private infrastructure, um, you know, I think that's just golden. And that's an opportunity that as a city administrator I just wouldn't miss. That that makes sense. Um, those are some really good points, I think, for looking at sort of that uh, city as perimeter and whatnot. I'm wondering if a city, for instance, um, let's look at the city of Westminster, which I think sure. um, is, is worth discussing because it sounds like you're going to be building a, a fiber optic network in partnership with them. Well, uh, I want to just put a finer point on that. They'll be building the network. We'll be operating it. So that's actually perfect because that's where I wanted to be going um, and to say that, you know, when Westminster's building this network, um, you know, if they were building it fiber to the home themselves, they might be doing a specific layout and and figuring out what technologies they were going to use. You know, how does a city go about doing this when they're going to be partnering with someone like you that's going to be operating it? So Westminster is uh, going to be an experiment. You know, we really can't find uh, a, a spot on model. So we'll be, in the best sense of the word, making it up as we go along. Uh, you know, there's going to be a network design uh, um, process. You know, they, they actually have most of that done. There will be, uh, you know, a first area of trial and a second area of trial. We'll be uh, lighting up the network. Uh, we're just going to have to work very closely together 
You know, we 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 worked to come up with a, a creative set of economics where uh, we're picking up a reasonable amount of the uh, of the risk. You know, they're they're laying out the capital, but we're picking up a a reasonable amount of the operating risk, and we're trying to come up with economics that work for everyone. Um, it's a great place uh, for uh, for both of us to experiment, and I think it's important on the one side for for cities and towns and on the other side for businesses uh, to find models that work here. So I think that, you know, we're going into it um, uh, breaking new ground, you know, really in the, in the sort of relationship sense. And, 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 uh, you know, we'll be learning as we go along. We don't expect to be perfect coming out of the gate, but we, uh, you know, hope to be close enough to make it work for everyone. And probably most importantly, to create a bit of a model that can be recreated uh, in numerous other places. And let me wrap up by asking you, what sort of services uh, do you want to offer? Are you going to be trying to negotiate with ESPN or are you going to be uh, just giving me a gig? So uh, we, are certainly be go- we are certainly going to be offering a, a symmetrical gig at sub $100, um, you know, in the what I call it, the classic new gigabit sense. Uh, and we expect to be able to do that with a fantastic uh, sort of online experience and all of the great customer service that we've been able to provide in both Ting Mobile and Hover. Um, so, you know, that stuff is easy. Uh, we, we will be offering a pay TV product. Uh, that'll happen sometime in 2015. Uh, I think it will be the best thing I can say about it now because it's early days there. You know, we've done a lot of work, but um, uh, there's a lot that's also not finalized there. Is it will be a nice synthesis of OTT, OTA, and pay TV. So that's over the top, uh, over the air, and pay TV. You know, we think that that. Um, uh, while you do see a definite decline in pay TV and growth in cord cutting, what is also true is there's a lot of great content being produced. You know, our roots, Chris, are in software downloads. Uh, so, you know, when you think about TV as really either uh, streams or downloads, it takes on a very different flavor. Elliot, you're one of the most technical people that I've known in terms of really quickly figuring out what's important to know and what's not on these different things. Um, Dish has just announced Sling TV. For those who weren't familiar, Sling is uh, providing a number of cable channels over the internet. So I'm a Comcast subscriber, but with my Comcast internet, I could be watching ESPN with my subscription to Sling uh, through Dish, which is interesting. Is Is this a game changer? Uh, we really like it, actually. And um, is it a game changer? You know, I think that it's an important step along the road in a lot of respects. Uh, um, you know, this is not um, this is not a market that will be subject to um, uh, binary you know, kind of yes or no forks in the road. There's going to be a long process where pay TV will evolve. And uh, I do think that this is an important piece uh, on that road. Um, so, the, you know, we think about it as, you know, the reason we feel we have to offer a pay TV service is because it simply increases the take rate on uh, gigabit fiber, which is the most important thing to us. So, 
um, you know, there are some people who just, uh, you know, I want my TV to stay the same, but I'd like to improve my internet. We've got to be able to do that for them in a way where they can get rid of Comcast or CenturyLink or whoever it is uh, on the other side of the pipe. So we do need to offer something that's, that's uh, uh, you know, just sort of a, that's an equivalent there. Uh, and by the way, there's no reason to say that can't be uh, through reselling something like, like, uh, like Dish. Um, now, what Sling does, uh, as, long, as well as a couple other pieces, is it increases the, you know, sort of around the margins, the number of people who will just say, well, that's just enough for me. You know, that an OTT is enough for me. That an OTA and OTT is enough for me. So we think it moves the ball down the field. Uh, but, you know, there is no black and white here. This is going to be a long process. There's still going to be the, the majority, the significant majority of the people, uh, you know, who, who like their existing TV just fine but would like to just simply pay less and be treated better. That does bring in a bunch of opportunities. But what it also still leaves is that, um, uh, let me call it the, you know, the, the, the family geeks technical challenge of getting that from the Internet to the TV set. Right. Yeah, my <laughs> my TV is not very does not make it easy. The the Blu-ray player makes it a little easier to do stuff, but the TV is miserable to try and use internet apps. You know, and 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 Chris, you you see very simple things like, you know, so how you how, for a lot of people what that'll mean is using Apple's AirPlay. Right. Well, you know, that can have a problem if somebody's using the microwave or if the, you know, an adjoining house is doing something with a garage door opener. So there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, variations and it's 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 why I say that this is all heterogeneous and it's all just steps along the road. Is there anything else that you want to make sure we touch on as we end the interview? Well, I, I think that, you know, one thing that I would want to um, uh, put out is we're, you know, we've got these two deals that we're going to be working on. Uh, that's really going to be the bulk of our work in 2015 because we want to get really good at laying fiber, at uh, having all of the business processes in place. You know, in 2016, we'll start to come at additional markets uh, much harder than we will. You know, 15 is almost, a, 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 in some senses, a beta year for, for us for this. And so if people want to uh, try and bend your ear on it, they can uh, show up at Freedom to Connect in New York City, uh, March 2nd and 3rd. Absolutely. That would be great. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. That was great. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. Don't forget to check out our stories about Ting's upcoming investment and Westminster's deployment on muninetworks.org. And please take a few moments to donate in any amount to ILSR.org to help us continue this valuable service. We want to thank Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have a great day.